Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are fresh out of Crown Jewel on the way to Survivor Series War Games! And we have a ton to talk about on today's show as we break down everything that happened across SmackDown on Friday and Raw on Monday night. Also, we will discuss some fallout from WWE Crown Jewel and the early build to Survivor Series War Games! Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, but first, your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, needs to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage and for Getting Over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. On Spotify, there is also the opportunity to leave comments on individual shows. And there's one of our listeners, his name is VR. That's what he goes by on there. He occasionally leaves us comments. He asks if we read them. Yes, VR, we do read them. We publish them. We appreciate you both as a listener and as someone who has feedback on the episodes and anyone else who happens to listen on Spotify, you can do that as well. Not sure how many people actually read those comments, but certainly if they're positive, they can only help us. So please go ahead and do that on Spotify. But we do very much want those five-star written reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. And around premium live events and pay-per-views, you also get the opportunity to vote in our pre- and post-show polls. And you heard all of that play itself out this past Saturday night as we gave you our WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis, which I hope none of you missed. Of course, if you did, once you're done listening to today's show, you can go back and listen to our entire breakdown of Crown Jewel with match grades, show grades, and a lot more. Twitter can also be used to send us questions and comments for the show. You can tweet us or you can DM us. But again, all of that on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Here at Getting Over, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week. You will also get exclusive news posts pretty much every single Friday. And again, we hit on a pretty big news story that is coming down the pike. So again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Okay, with all of that out of the way, vintage Chris Vanini, welcome to today's show. You left me hanging a little bit Saturday for WWE Crown Jewel, but I got to admit, I was a little bit jealous. You were at Bedlam, the final Bedlam between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Hell of a game. Great place to be if you're not going to be here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So welcome back to the show, and I certainly hope you had a good time. Yeah, good to be back. Sorry I missed the pod on Saturday, everybody, but like you said, I was up at Oklahoma State, which has produced a a number of, has a great wrestling program and has produced some really good uh, professional wrestlers in its history. Jerry Briscoe, I Mm -hmm. think, went to Oklahoma State. So uh, yeah, great time, great game, had a lot of fun. 
a lot of work and here to talk about wrestling. And yes, I've watched Crown Jewel. I've got some thoughts on it and we will get into that. Yeah, we are. In fact, we're going to kick off the show with that. So we're adding a segment today as we pretty much always do coming out of WWE uh, premium live events. We will take a second look at WWE Crown Jewel. This will mostly be with the exception of one question that we were asked that will lead to a bit of a discussion. This is mostly going to be uh, vintage's takes on Crown Jewel. I'll inject some thoughts, but again, I gave you all a full, I think 45 minute hour long breakdown in the WWE Crown Jewel instant analysis that you can listen to, but we'll get his thoughts on that. Then of course, we're going to move into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word. You know it, you can count on it every Tuesday right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So Chris, let's get it going. WWE Crown Jewel second look. We're going to start with the main event, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Roman Reigns defending against LA Knight. The only note I wanted to say off the top before we get your thoughts is I'm slightly downgrading my match grade to 3.5 stars B. It was right on the line. There were only two matches I have from Crown Jewel. I actually got the opportunity to rewatch and seeing this back, it just wasn't as good as I thought initially, but still really solid 3.5. Certainly not bad. Chris, what were your thoughts on Reigns Knight? They made LA Knight feel like a big deal, feel like he deserved to be in that main event. And, and that was huge for a guy who was doing nothing in this company basically a year ago. So that was definitely a positive. I loved the the vignette promo video beforehand, like really, really solid, way better than I was expecting. Again, really made this feel like a big match, felt like LA Knight belonged. That was That was great. I loved LA Knight kicking out of the spear that was big. Give him that moment to kick out of the Roman Reigns spear. That was great. And I said going into the match, the one thing they needed to get out of this match was the split second of a 2.9 where you thought LA Knight might win for a second. And they tried it, but it kind of didn't work. And it's not their fault. It was the crowd's fault because mm-hmm. LA Knight hits the BFT and he gets the pin and the crowd starts counting early they before did. the referee started. A full second. And yep. so by the time by the time the leg is put up on the rope, it's kind of messed with the crowd energy. So you don't get the one, two, oh, like that's that's the moment they mm-hmm. built for. But the crowd messed it up when the when the referee went down to count. They started with one before he hit one. So they tried. They didn't quite get it. I'm not going to blame WWE for that. So match was fine. It was it was. Every Roman Reigns main event match at this point, as you explained in the instant analysis, mm-hmm. um, same finish, same layout, same everything. Uh, ultimately, though, LA and I felt like he belonged, got to look pretty strong in it. And so I think it was a success in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think your takeaways pretty much align with what I was saying uh, on that instant analysis show, basically that. They got the job done in getting LA Knight even more over, making him feel like he belonged as a main eventer. At the same time, it would have been nice if they were a little bit more creative and just figured out another way to end the match without LA Knight taking the squeaky clean loss, which clearly they were trying to avoid because they wanted to protect him. So it's frustrating. It was very paint by numbers in that regard, but we got out of it. It's over. (laughs) And now Roman Reigns probably won't (laughs) defend the title for another two months, you know? Yeah, look, like LA Knight showed that he can do a WWE style main event. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm sure that's a I'm sure that's a big part of what the company wanted to see out of him. So great to see him in that spot. Really happy for him. The push is going to continue. Yeah. 
And it's uh, it's really cool that we just kind of got to that point where he got to main event a big show against Roman Reigns, which is pretty cool. Yeah, he came across as a guy who you now could see with a heavyweight championship in WWE and say, yep, that makes sense. It's not a stretch. And that was the number one goal of the entire thing. Now, we did have a question that came in from Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. You guys know, longtime listener, writes in frequently. He said, I noticed that Michael Cole mentioned Hulk Hogan's length of title reign for the first time, or at least the first time in a long time during this match. How concerned are you guys that Roman holds the title until he passes Hogan and that's them planting seeds of that number now? And I think this is a really apropos question, given the mini rant I went on during the instant analysis about Roman's title reign, his recent defenses, his lack of defenses in television time. I actually believe, Chris, there should be a level of concern about this, mostly because it has taken a lot to get to this point. And therefore, the attractiveness of having someone unproblematic, especially comparative, and modern, pass Hulk Hogan's record, that is going to be immensely high. For context, Hogan is at 1,474 days and Reigns today is at 1163. So we're talking about a 311 day gap from Reigns becoming the third longest reigning champion of all time in terms of days recognized. And the top two numbers by Bob Backlund and of course, Bruno Sammartino, they're just not going to be touched. So the gap is currently 311 days, as I said. By the time WrestleMania 40 rolls around, that gap basically gets cut in half to 160 days. And WWE at that point, and I'm sure they're already thinking about it, but my point is when you get there, when you get to the juncture where it's 160 days from Hulk Hogan's record, you gotta think, are we ever going to have the chance to do this again? On the way there, Reigns is gonna pass San Martino for the fourth longest reign because he had two of the four longest reigns. So the top four would be San Martino, Backlund, Hogan, and Reigns in order. And that really should be enough. That puts him on the Mount Rushmore of longest reigns. But again, just like anything else in life, there's the attractiveness of pushing it further, like Kramer and the Saab salesman in Seinfeld. How much further past the red line can they take this? Because it may not be running on empty just yet, but it feels close. I think ultimately it would really hurt business to try and push this past WrestleMania 40. Fans have given WWE the benefit of the doubt in 2023 because of how well everything was booked in 2022 going into WrestleMania 39. But Reigns has defended the title two times in the last 219 days. Two times. That's 110 days between defenses. Three plus months. And he's not even on TV for a lot of the time during those. I know he was initially, they did the tag team feud, I get it. But still, okay, he was off TV and now it seems like he's gonna be off TV again. And these last two title defenses were probably his worst and most predictable matches of this run. There are still some names out there that he hasn't defeated. Bobby Lashley, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, who knows, maybe The Rock, right? But they cannot stretch this reign out for another entire year in the same manner. Because even if they took it to next SummerSlam, he still wouldn't have the record. 
And then at that point, you're saying, well, then it's WrestleMania 41. Like those are the only two times in a year where you could actually have him drop the title. If Reigns this entire time had been constantly defending, winning matches clean, truly appearing dominant, maybe I could see it. But even though he still gets great reactions and no one is really protesting him as champion yet, you can feel that if Royal Rumble season wasn't coming up soon, this might already be taking a turn for the worse. And certainly from a critical standpoint, it already is. So while I think they're going to get to WrestleMania 40, or they're at least recognizing now that by the time they get there, it's only going to be 160 days from the record. And that's really attractive to do because when the hell is this going to happen again? You're going to have to have another pandemic, knock on wood, that never happens. You know, you're going to have to have the right uh, situation in terms of business where something like this is accepted. And in this time with social media and people with ADD and all this type of stuff, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult to do another reign of a thousand plus days. So that's going to be really attractive for them to do. But I just, Chris, ultimately do not think they can go past WrestleMania 40. And thankfully, I think Triple H is smart enough to know that's the case. I agree with your point on, hey, 160 days, that does get tempting. Um, however, you know, I don't see the the urge to need to put Roman Reigns ahead of Hulk Hogan either because the company has welcomed Hulk Hogan back. Like that, the, the, all the controversial stuff from years ago, like they've kind of moved on from that. And they've tried to. Whatever yeah. you think about him, whatever you think about him, Hulk Hogan was a million times bigger than Roman Reigns. Oh was, yeah. Huge. And yeah, I, yeah. and I think ever will be, you know? So like, I don't even know if it helps WWE to knock Hogan down a peg in that sense. Roman Reigns being up there still doesn't quite feel right. And, mm-hmm. and I'll also just bring up the point you made on the instant analysis that, that I've made several times this year, which is I still don't think the initial plan was for Roman Reigns to beat Cody at WrestleMania 39 because of how everything else has played out this year pretty much to have two title defenses to to be doing things not involving the title it just it felt like they made a change i don't know why and they're kind of just trying to string this along for another year and they're going to give us the Cody moment they said you know they said when Cody beat Damian Priest at Crown Jewel Cody is back toward finishing the story right. we got Cody Roman face to face you know a couple weeks ago like they're very clearly going back to that and i don't think you can pull the rug out from under fans twice second time on that my dad is still mad that cody Rhodes didn't win that match this year (laughs) and it's been harder to get him back into wrestling because of it Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i i get the concern Uh, i get you know we were all kind of shocked what happened this year it's possible it's possible they keep it going uh i i still would heavily lean toward them not however Yeah, I completely agree. If Reigns was like nuclear hot, if he was as hot now as he was going into WrestleMania, then maybe you could do it. And but you'd have you could not put Cody in that match at WrestleMania. It would almost have to be Roman Reigns in the rock at WrestleMania 40. Cody does not get his shot. And Cody is still fighting to get that opportunity. That is the only way to successfully do that. If you put Cody in there again and he loses, the story's dead. Even if you book it again for 41, the main event three shows in a row, and he ultimately wins, the people are just going to stop caring. They're going to start protesting against it. They're going to start protesting against Reigns. And again, he's not an active dominant champion this year, not since WrestleMania. So you can't even put him on this level where he's so good that he's beating everyone. 
And therefore, yes, it makes sense for Cody to lose to him a second time because every time he wins a match now, it's cheating. He's not beating anyone clean anymore. And again, the defenses are way too far apart for it to come across like this guy really matters to the company from the standpoint of like, yeah, ratings go up when he is back on TV, but they're still really high every week he's not on TV. So how much do you actually need him as champion anymore? So that goes back to other conversations we've had. We could spend another hour talking about this, but I thought it was a really good question and I'm glad we got the opportunity to discuss it here. Let's keep going with this crown jewel second look. I promise everyone, the rest of this is gonna be way shorter. Uh, Chris, what is your take on the World Heavyweight Championship Seth Rollins retaining over Drew McIntyre? Another really, really good video package uh, going into it. <laughs> props, to, props to them for that. This match, you know, they didn't get it right with the, the LA Knight Roman Reigns. This match had so many good kickouts. So many 2.99s were like, it got me, you know, and that got the crowd hyped up, you know, when they did a couple of those. So credit to both of them for that really fun match. Ultimately not surprised. Seth won still wanted Drew to win. Still feel like that's a really good story for Drew. And I'm not sure what happens next, but uh, really, really solid match and, and both guys delivered. So good stuff. One thing I noted, because you, you just mentioned really wanted Drew to win. And that's what I kind of mentioned on the instant analysis as well. I think this Rollins title reign would be better received by the quote unquote smart fans if they didn't keep putting him up against people that they want to see beat him. You know, like there's plenty of heels. Like, let's just make believe he had a title reign or a, I'm sorry, a, a title feud against the Miz. No one's clamoring for Miz to beat Rollins for the title. But consecutively, Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Drew McIntyre, someone who really got screwed out of his only opportunity because he got hurt, someone who's never gotten the rack, uh, rocket strapped to him the way fans have wanted, Nakamura being the second, and then the pandemic champion who didn't really get his just due, putting all three of those back to back to back against Rollins has a lot of these fans saying, hey, you know what? We want these people to get opportunities as well. If Rollins had been defending yeah. this title yeah. against the Miz, Bobby Lashley, and you know whoever, then there wouldn't be that same clamoring for this because everyone would say, okay, good. Rollins is taking care of business. He's beating these heels that they've either had their time or we're not expecting them to win. I think that has been, I don't want to say the biggest flaw because all three of these feuds have been great. And Rollins has been a great first champion, an awesome workhorse. And I think the criticisms of this reign are massively overblown. But looking more analytically into it, I think that is the reason why it's being received the way it is by a subsection of fans. He, I was at SummerSlam and the crowd was cheering for Finn Balor. At Crown Jewel, the crowd was cheering for Drew McIntyre. They were the sympathetic figures. In the Shinsuke storyline, they made Seth the sympathetic figure by leaning into the back stuff, you know. But, but when you've got these two guys who have really interesting stories and you feel for them, like the crowd's going to root for them. And mm -hmm. so that's what happened. That's why the crowd was cheering for Drew McIntyre. All right, let's move on to the Women's World Championship. Rhea Ripley successfully retaining over Raquel Rodriguez, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Zoe Stark. Didn't have a ton of thoughts other than I thought this was for a five-way that can be very difficult. I thought they, they, they planned it all out very well and it was an enjoyable match. Uh, the right winner, obviously, cool finish uh and and the but the long entrance for Rhea was weird mm -hmm. in that they didn't explain it 
and, and commentary missed that you, you talked about on the instant analysis, but like it just kept going on and on and on. I was like, how many people are coming out here? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that it's just because, you know, I didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't really have that context. So but other than that, you know, it was it was solid. I maintain you pull Nia Jax out of that match. It goes from good to great because the other four women did a fantastic job. WWE Women's Championship, EO Sky retaining over Bianca Belair. And here we also got the return of Kyrie Sane. My only note, I actually upgraded this to 3.75 stars B+. I thought they did fantastic work. EO and Bianca did great together. Yeah, r- really solid match. Um, I wrote down that I just, I kind of noticed, but it happens a lot. Cole and Barrett pronounce Bianca very differently because, <laughs> because of their very accents because of their accents and mm-hmm. so i just it stood out in this one um like you said Kyrie sane reappearing at this show right kind of like oh man we could have done something more but really happy to have her back she's great she looked great i mean she was in saudi arabia so who knows how she'll look when she gets back here but right. uh really cool to see her and man she that freaking elbow, man. She Perfect. just freaking nails that thing. <laughs> it's unreal. Uh, so that that was really good. And uh, lastly, as uh, you mentioned as well on the incident analysis, a complimentary hey now to Bailey. I actually believe, and this is a wild thing to say, but in terms of elbow drops, Macho Man Randy Savage one, Kyrie Sane two. I don't know who Dude, she's, else. You, she's right. You could like, who else? You, like. Savage, Savage has the status. Yeah. In terms of physically doing it, Kyrie's might be the greatest ever. Hers, the way she like relifts it up right before landing and then hammers it back down, that just adds so much to it. And she's so tiny, so it shouldn't really have, you know, that much of an impact visually. But you, you know what? From a technical execution standpoint, she might be better than Savage in that regard. But for me still, Savage won. Sane too, but still fantastic. Uh, United States Championship, Logan Paul defeated Rey Mysterio for the title, as we both predicted and as plenty of other people predicted. Um, going into the show, Chris, what are your thoughts here? When Logan did his entrance and got in the ring, they, Cole was hyping up how many social media followers, followers he has. And I'm sorry, it's never going to not sound corny when you're just like, he has 30 million social media followers. Like, it just sounds so dorky when you say that and so i just they keep hyping it up and it's just a weird freaking thing to say like i'm someone who's on social media all day Mm -hmm. i think it's weird if i was to like hype up how many social media followers i have just a weird thing um logan taking that you you mentioned the spot where he saves ray really glad you pointed that out Mm -hmm. really great spot from him logan also the way he took the sunset flip powerbomb off the top of the turnbuckle from Ray was like freaking perfect, man. Like he launched himself off at the perfect angle, hits it great. Like just, he's so good. He's just, he's so good at this. I hate him, but he's so good at this. <laughs> so um, ultimately, uh, you know, a- as we expected, I didn't love doing the the brass knuckles finish two times in a row, mm-hmm. but what are you going to do? Uh, I just, I hope he's around more to have the title, to show the title to have a champion on SmackDown most weeks. Um, So we will see. Yep. So with Logan here, they're just setting up for something that could be really special. Like he might have the greatest reach to the young audience that anyone has in WWE. Maybe Pat McAfee rivals him, especially because he has a sports audience. I don't know the exact numbers. It's really tough to quantify those things. But to have Logan Paul hold this United States championship 
and promote a match through all his platforms, whether it's Kevin Owens or LA Knight, and I still think it's going to be LA Knight, but, and do that all the way up until WrestleMania. And then the fact that he's actually good in the ring and is going to put on a great match and deliver on all that promotion, it's going to be huge. I think LA Knight over Logan Paul has the chance to be when we leave WrestleMania and we talk about the biggest pop, it'll be Cody Rhodes over Roman Reigns if they do that. But probably the biggest pop of night one if they actually execute it in that manner. Yep. That that's that that is a money match. And and I hope they do it. Uh your thoughts on Solo Sokoa not just beating John Cena, but hitting him with eleven Samoan spikes in the finish. Uh first off on SmackDown, credit to John Cena coming out with the raspy voice mm-hmm. uh first i thought it was just i thought he just had a raspy voice and then i realized oh it was because of the Samoan spike so they did follow up on telling that story about him losing his voice so i did appreciate that um i was surprised but liked the finish you know i i, I did like that he just started beating him down with Samoan spikes really try to make solo look vicious and, and, and someone you should fear and good for Solo. You know, I, I guess we'll probably have Cena come back maybe for Mania, maybe a rematch and kind of do the story of John Cena finally gets a win back or something. But because um, you figure it's got to happen at some point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I and I assume this is sending Cena off for a while. I wasn't sure because the actor strike is still going on. Uh, but but that felt like Cena is going to be out for a bit. So WWE on Raw did a really heavy highlight package for this. They made it seem as if it was Cena's final match, though obviously it's not. So I stand by what I said on the incident analysis, which you just said as well. They're going to run this back exactly the same for WrestleMania with Cena going over Sokoa. I'm almost positive of it. That It just makes way too much sense for them to do it based on the booking, based on the uh, emotional strings they're trying to pull, based on you know the creative here. I have to believe they're running it back. Uh, Cody Rhodes over Damian Priest. Your thoughts? Kind of exactly what we expected. Not much to it. I didn't okay. even, I don't think I even wrote many notes down for it. But, uh, you know, Cody Rhodes again doing the three, three crossroads finisher. I guess it at least made sense for this one. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was fine. There's really not much to it. Any thoughts on Sami Zayn beating JD McDonough on the kickoff show? Like you, uh, thought it turned out to actually be a really smart kickoff show match because I had actually forgotten just how crazy over Sami Zayn is there uh, because of his background and what he did the last time he was in Saudi Arabia. Uh, so that actually really did get the crowd super into it. So it worked. So let's move and get your final show grade before we really move on with everything else we have to talk about. So just a refresher, everyone, pre-show, Chris was an A. I was an A minus. You, the listeners, were an 89.4 average B plus in our pre-show poll. Then in the post-show poll, all of you averaged out to 83.0, and I was higher than that, 84, 85, but both of us were flat Bs. Chris, what is your uh, final grade for Crown Jewel? I give it a B plus. Um, I, I gave it an A coming in because the card was just so good, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately we didn't get anything out of the ordinary. You know, we got Kyrie Sane showing up, but other than that, it, it was a very by-the-numbers pay-per-view. Um, and so ultimately everything was fine. Everything was good. Uh, it just, nothing jumped out, uh, you know, like what's the moment from crown jewel? Like, oh man, that was the moment of the crown jewel show. I don't know. Like nothing really jumped out. So ultimately I'll stick with the B plus one other thing I wanted to say about the show. You touched on it as well. 
This was the most propaganda we've seen on one of these <laughs> I in know. a long, long time. time. Yeah. Like maybe since one of the first or second ones. And look, there was a line between propaganda versus just celebrating a culture. You know, like right. I, I'm not trying to say like everything there that's highlighting Saudi Arabia is just propaganda. Sometimes like, you know, like when they brought that actor on to do the stuff with the Miz, like mm -hmm. that was just celebrating a guy who was very popular there, you know? And, and, and so like that made total sense. Um, but man, they, they really, really went heavy on the propaganda stuff for this. And as we, as we always try to say with this, there's a difference between the Saudi Arabia government and the Saudi Arabian people. Correct. And there is, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole thing, but, but it's very clear that Saudi Arabia's sports washing has been an unmitigated success. You Unfortunately, know, WWE was at in WWE was at the forefront of this. You know, they got a lot of criticism early on for doing it, but now F1 is there, Live Golf exists, mm -hmm. and Saudi Arabia is probably about to get a World Cup uh, because they're the only ones bidding. So they're also starting uh, a baseball league, I believe, uh, or a basketball they've league. They've got a soccer league. Christian, I got a soccer Ronaldo's league. Ronaldo's there. Ronaldo, a bunch of big players are going there. So like, it's yeah. totally worked. And I'm not going to say WWE caused all of it to happen, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very sticky. You know, we call it blood money in the sand for a reason, and it's it's uh, it's not great. And I was just WWE seems to very much be fully on board now, understanding that hey, everybody's with Saudi Arabia now, so we're gonna go back into to leaning into it. And well, it, it also seems like they may it's a bit uncomfortable. They may not have re-upped a contract because obviously they're not gonna do it until this one expires. But it seems like they're all in because they did during Crown Jewel promote that big WWE, I don't know what it is. Is it a museum? Is it a entertainment center? They're, they're building this enormous thing that's going to be open in January that's all WWE. So clearly they're going to be a presence there for a long time, which you would assume means they're going to re-sign that contract and probably try to get a raise on it. They're getting 50 million a show now. Maybe they'll try to get 75. Um, so I think these shows doing one quote unquote regular premium live event and one crown jewel there. So two a year, we hoped that that would end and the blood money and the sand stuff would go away. I think this is gonna continue for the foreseeable future and there's no reason to think otherwise. So with that, Chris, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we got a lot to talk about still from SmackDown and Raw. SmackDown for me, it definitely came across like a mailed in show. Like I know it was taped and I know it was extra before crown jewel. But it was strange to me that Triple H did not build out like strong storytelling segments involving other wrestlers who are not going to be on Crown Jewel between all the other last minute go home build for that show. To put it simply, nothing Friday night felt like it actually mattered, which made for a really boring two hours. Raw was the exact opposite. Everything mattered. The women got a massive spotlight Monday night. There were three matches that had significant stakes and all of them delivered. It was like the perfect TV show coming off a major PLE, completely resetting the stage for what is now a three-week build to Survivor Series, which, as I mentioned earlier, was indeed given the War Games moniker. In fact, straight up, Raw on Monday was better than Crown Jewel. That was, despite me on Monday night, watching four things simultaneously. I watched Raw, Monday Night Football, the Knicks-Clippers game, and the Florida Gators basketball opener. I watched all of them. I had four screens going, and I still thought Raw 
was better than Crown Jewel despite all those distractions. I think I have four straight matches that were 3.5 stars or better to close this show. Every single hour, so 8, 9, 10 p.m., built toward its own main event match. That was refreshing. And I legitimately believe, top to bottom, it was one of the best wrestling TV shows of the entire year. Yeah, so yes, on SmackDown, it was a tape show. It just, it was what it was. Um, Raw is in this interesting spot where, like, it's good, it's fine. I just, I find it hard to be fully engaged with it. And maybe that's because it's a Monday, I'm in the middle of a work week and I've got some things going on, but, and it's hard for me to get as invested in the wrestling as opposed to when SmackDown comes around, it's the end of my week. I'm usually relaxed. It's only two hours. It doesn't feel long. And I just generally enjoy SmackDown more than I enjoy Raw. I think that's part of it, but it was noticeable. They went heavy, heavy on the wrestling on this show. And you're right. It probably was maybe the best wrestling raw of the year. But I also I also came out of it like like there's a lot of stuff going on. My 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 thoughts on how much it mattered or didn't matter was okay. Some of it was random, some of it was building, some of it was very quickly building because mm-hmm. you know, War Games is only 3 weeks away. So like it was a good solid show. Um I just I didn't like it as much as I think you probably did, yeah, because clearly. to me, the the wrestling and the quality of the wrestling isn't always like my number one thing when I'm watching the show, which is just always kind of the way I've been. That's fair. I do think that SmackDown recently has been the stronger storyline show and Raw has yeah. been the stronger wrestling show. And there were weeks, I think we said the two prior weeks where I thought SmackDown was better than Raw, despite having Raw ahead for most of this year. But this definitely flipped this week. So Raw for me, knocked it out of the park. We'll see what SmackDown does this coming Friday. But before we get to that, we got to get to this. And that is sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And today's main event is going to be completely about Raw, just the longer storyline that unfolded across the entire episode. Let's get right to it. Seth Rollins opened the show after like a 10 minute intro. It took forever to get to him. He thanked Drew McIntyre for not only pushing him to be great, but sticking to his word and not getting involved with Judgment Day. Then he called out thanks to Sami Zayn for saving his skin with the interception of the Money in the Bank briefcase. And they confirmed Adam Pierce made him return the briefcase. Zayn said he's sick of dealing with Judgment Day, wouldn't stop fighting them, and hates that they hold every title on Raw except Rollins' strap, yet they have the ability to take it any time with Money in the Bank. Seth told him that's not the only way you can take the title. He told Sammy he granted him a title match and would let him pick win. Zayn guaranteed he would win the title one day. He didn't want to do it over a champion who was compromised due to the injured back. Rollins got in his face with some tough love, telling him, cut the crap. No one's ever 100% in this business. So Sammy accepted on the spot. They slapped hands, and Adam Pierce later double-checked with Rollins backstage, but he said he's born to run. Shout out Bruce Springsteen. So my suspension of disbelief was triggered a little here because we all know Pierce or any GM would never make a heel return the briefcase if they stole it. That heel would run around with that shit for weeks. And the only way the babyface would get it back is to have a match where they beat them and they have to take the briefcase from them. But besides that, this was a great babyface moment for Rollins, a real sensible booking given the creative that we got at Crown Jewel and a hell of a TV main event booking as WWE was looking to bounce back ratings-wise on Raw. Whether that happened or not, 
We're not going to know until after we tape this show. This was the first world title match on Raw in five months, and champions offering matches just needs to happen more, particularly when it comes to heels, given they have seven of the eight titles right now. But I thought this was refreshing for Rollins. I love the way he came across as a character, and they gave us a huge match at the end of the show. So this was a really solid, strong, uh, two thumbs up opener as far as I was concerned. Yeah, peak babyface stuff, you know, babyface thanks another babyface gives offers a title shot. Um, Rollins needed that, you know, and plus this whole thing when he got the title was, hey, I'm going to be a fighting champion, you know, so it all fit in, in, in terms of that. I still don't buy the like Sami Zayn, I'm going to fight the judgment day till I have no breath left left in me type of stuff like the passion. He's trying, man. But we just went through the bloodline story and this ain't the same thing. So it's just it's right. harder to it's harder to buy into it. But, you know, that's the story. And uh, but no, this was it was a good start. So Judgment Day with J.D. McDonough in a Damien Priest shirt, but without Priest himself. They were all having fun talking shit backstage. Priest came in furious that Zayn got handed a title match while he had to actively go and get his briefcase back. McDonough, as I said, was wearing Priest's shirt. That tweaked Damien. And for the second straight week, it seemed like Finn Balor was the only one who really had his back out of the entire group. Then we got the scheduled non-title tag team match, Judgment Day against New Day. The faces got most of the offense, but Judgment Day prevailed rather easily with what seemed like a tag team sequence finisher that we really haven't had before. Priest hit South of Heaven. As his arm was outstretched, Balor tagged his arm and then hit Coup de Gras immediately after for the one, two, three. What shocked me about this was how New Day was just dispatched. Like these guys should have been legitimate title challengers. You could have started building them up and then had them challenge for the titles after Survivor Series. Instead, they just got tossed aside. I don't get the point of that when they are the most legitimate tag team on both rosters right now, given the Usos are split up. They're the most successful. They should be challenging for these titles. So I don't know why you beat them squeaky clean like this on a random Raw. That was frustrating to me. Uh, But still, they looked good as a tag team, Judgment Day did, and the backstage segment continued to hit all the right notes for this ongoing storyline of Priest's frustrations with the faction. Damian Priest hating J.D. McDonough remains one of the most entertaining things Mm -hmm. going on in WWE. Just the way he delivers his reactions are so real. Like, he just yells, yeah, I know that smart guy. (laughs) I just burst out laughing when he mm-hmm. said that. And then he asked JD McDonough, hey, did you buy that shirt? The mm-hmm. Damian Priest shirt he was wearing. I just, I love the two of them together. And I would love to just further expand upon that. Uh, and maybe it becomes a friendship or, or something, but really just, I just, Damian Priest, his just dismay with JD McDonough remains so good. Um, I, I was also surprised with you about kind of how easily New Day was dispatched, considering they had been built into, you know, a tag team championship contender. It seemed like that's what they were trying to do. So surprised with that, but solid, good match. Um, so it was it was good. Uh, Drew McIntyre drove into the arena. He was asked his mindset by Jackie Redmond. He snarled at her, got back in the SUV and left. And we never saw him again. <laughs> I was sure he was going to come back, but he never did. Uh, Jay Uso also found Sammy backstage, boosted his confidence ahead of the title match. Then he told Zayn that he and Cody Rhodes got the tag team championship rematch next week on Raw, and Sammy was thrilled for him. 
So World Heavyweight Championship was the main event. Rollins against Zayn. Seth dodged a huluva kick with Sammy selling the knee as Rollins hit a springboard swanton bomb and a springboard moonsault in succession. Rollins then took a back body drop, yes, on the hardest part of the ring so he could sell the back. Zayn ate a buckle bomb but came back with blue thunder bomb for a false finish. Then Sammy hit the exploder suplex, but Seth countered huluva kick with a super kick and a pedigree for another false finish. Zayn countered the stomp directly into a lion tamer, then a Boston crab, walls of Jericho. Seth was about to submit, but rolled Sammy over, caught him in a trap pinning combination for the one, two, three in an extremely hot finish to retain the title. Holy shit, this thing banged. Shout out to Michael Cole for calling the lion tamer properly. Wouldn't think that they'd actually do that, even though commentary and, and Triple H are better about those things, but he did, and that was the exact move that was utilized there. For weeks now, I've been talking about WWE letting matches actually play out with defined winners, not involving interference or distraction. And in an all babyface battle that I was sure would see interference from McIntyre, it was real refreshing that this result went the way it did. It was exceptionally wrestled with more time, maybe on a big show. These two could have put on something memorable, like a legitimate A plus match. I'm at 4.25 stars and an A. I've seen people suggest it was even better, maybe 4.5, something like that. Whatever, it's an A match. It was a fantastic TV main event. Would love to see these guys go again on a premium live event. And there's more that happened, but I want to talk about the match first, Chris. I just, clearly, I loved it. Yeah, when the match got made, my brother texted me, uh, that should be a good match until Judgment Day interferes. Right. <laughs> I think we, we all we all thought it was coming, and it didn't. And, and that made it uh, more enjoyable. I did love the little bit about how Sammy could have punched Seth in the lower back and he didn't, mm -hmm. you know, like this. They told a good story with that. And you're right. This was a lot heavier wrestling show. And when you give them time, the finishes work better and you ultimately get what you want to get across. And I think this was an this was a show that did that. And this was a match that did that. This was obviously a good. This was the type of finish uh, that great main event. This was the type of finish that AEW does way too much. Like Orange Cassidy ends his matches like this pretty much all the time. And WWE does not do enough. Just doesn't have to always be finisher one, two, three, or finisher kick out, finisher again, one, two, three, or distraction involved in all that whole thing. Sometimes people just, you know, in a, in a heavy, heavily contested match, when you're doing a lot of counters, sometimes people just get trapped and get pinned and it protects them. It really does. It's not a bad loss when you take an L that way. So again, I just love the booking of this match. So Rollins and Zayn post-match, they shake hands. Sammy lifted Seth's arm after the bell. As he left, Sammy got blindside attack four on one by Judgment Day. It looked like it was a tidal wave coming at him and just squashed him right on the ground. Seth saved him with a tope suicida. Then Jay came out and helped even the sides. Finally, Cody made his first appearance of the night in the final minutes of the show for the second week in a row, which I continue to find odd that they have this huge star and they're not putting him out there until the literal last minute. Uh, the eight guys brawled wildly with Pierce, WWE officials and security charging down. Pierce grabbed a mic. He started screaming that he's sick of this shit. All these games happening every week. The crowd knew what was coming. And maybe my favorite part of this show is that they were audibly getting excited. He kept saying games and you saw people stand and get louder and louder. And Pierce <laughs> yeah. announced they're going to play games in Chicago at War Games. 
And I'll cut Pierce's war games too, because he sounded like an angry dad who was totally fed up with his kids running around the house, drawing on the walls and shit. It was hysterical. They all start brawling again. Cody hits an Escalara splash on about a dozen people and Raw cuts off with the crowd on absolute fire. Chris, this could not have been executed better. Classic, chaotic, Attitude Era ending. It also looked like it was the Attitude Era. Everyone was wearing black and Priest was wearing jeans. The only thing missing was Jim Jim Ross screaming, we're out of time. We'll see you next week on Monday Night Raw. I'm a bit perturbed about Rollins being involved in this and not having a title match on the show, but he has been heavily featured in this feud as well, primarily with Balor, but now with Priest. Most important was the fans were on fire. It was built perfectly to a crescendo and also out of kayfabe. I'm thrilled that we're finally getting the end of this feud. So this was great in kayfabe and out of kayfabe. Pierce was a 10 out of 10. He channeled William Regal the best he could. He had a great dramatic, he pulled off his glasses when he's before he said war games. Exceptional, like I said, I will cut his clip. That way we have both on this show going forward. This was a win all the way around, an exceptional end to an extremely strong Raw on Monday night. Yeah, I was very happy that we just got to it because, you know, we'd been saying for weeks, like, it feels like we're building to Survivor Series War Games, except we've got Crown Jewel here. So instead of giving us, you know, another week or two or waiting to the go home to announce the match, they're just like, nope, we're this is what we're doing. So, like, I, I appreciate that they just stopped dancing around it and got to it. I remain baffled by the Cody stuff. We've been saying that basically since football season started, Cody has barely been on Raw mm-hmm. every week. And it's very surprising. And I, I only wonder, like, Look, do, do they know post-Survivor Series it's going to be heavy, heavy Cody going mm-hmm. into everything, going into WrestleMania, and they mm-hmm. don't want to overexpose him right now? Could be. They, 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 they could be like, hey, we've got the Cody push coming. We don't need to do it now. But he's your biggest star. You're competing against football. I'm, just, I'm surprised they haven't leaned on him more. Um, I This setup with Seth being in it made me wonder, like, can Priest cash in during the match? Or, We'll discuss. Or, or what? Like that. That that's an interesting dynamic that uh, kind of comes into play as well. So um, I'm excited. Um, I still think it's kind of weird that Survivor Series and War Games are the same show, but uh, it's uh, it's good. This was a really really hot finish, and props to Pierce who nailed it. I do want to discuss that point about the Money in the Bank briefcase, but there's a few other items I want to talk about before we get to that. Your take on Cody, I agree with. I believe. The reason why they're not featuring him much on the show is fear of overexposure ahead of a period in which he is going to be overexposed because he's going to be the pendulum upon which Raw rotates. My, or I guess swings is the better uh, phrase there. The other item is we don't know Cody's health status. It's possible he has a nagging injury, something's bothering him, Mm -hmm. because what you would normally do is have him be at the 8 p.m. hour, 9 p.m. hour, have a match against someone. Someone Judgment Day, someone another heel. There's plenty of people he can feud with. Drew McIntyre, it seemed like, was going to feud with Cody at one point. Maybe he still will in the coming month after uh, Survivor Series. But you have him in a match, and then he comes out and does the save. You have him cut a promo or do something backstage or interact with Rollins or interact with Sami Zayn or or Jey Uso, and then you have him come out and make the save. Instead, he's literally not on the show at all until 10.58 p.m. Eastern when he runs out, does that, And then Adam Pierce makes the match. So that's a little interesting. 
the other topic I wanted to bring up, Chris, is, is it weird that, and I know that we all get older and things change, our mentality changes, but back in the nineties, even though I wasn't working yet, I didn't have a boss. Obviously I sided with Stone Cold Steve Austin and I found catharsis in him fighting back against the authority, taking down Vince McMahon. And now here I am 25 years later, totally empathizing with Pierce, having to lay down this law because his employees are off the chain, they're wreaking havoc, they're not listening to him. I found myself like, yeah, Pierce, you announce war games, put them in their place, you know? Like, that's the exact opposite of what I would have been, you know, 25 years ago. Well, it's because Pierce isn't a heel I know. authority figure. I know. Like, like he, and it, this is like among the longest runs they've ever had with an authority figure who is not a heel, you know? He, well, he's been doing this don't forget, down the middle. Don't forget, Pierce has gone heel a couple times. Short-lived, but he has done it. Like right, but even even when he was with the even when he was doing the Sonya Deville stuff, like Sonya was kind of the heel, and that just he's been a steady force for a while, and so like the fans cheer for him, mm-hmm. you know, like they empathize with him because he has to put up with a lot of crap. Most of his interactions backstage that we see him on camera are with heels, you know, with heels putting him down or complaining. So he's kind of presented as someone to get behind, and so that's why it works. No, you're 100% right. And heel was the wrong word. He, there were times where he was a tweener authority figure, but largely through this run, he has been a baby face. That's true. So the other to- topic I want to talk about before we get to the whole briefcase situation. Apparently, when WWE first announced the War Games moniker, it was said it would be five on five. And we certainly didn't get that Monday night. Right now we have four on four. Now we can get there with Drew McIntyre joining one side or the other. The question is, what side does he join? And if he is involved, how does that play out? So example, you could have McIntyre join the heels straight up. Then you say, who joins the baby faces? Well, you could have Kevin Owens come back over from SmackDown. That seems a little bit odd given they just moved him over there. If not him though, I don't know who the faces would use as their fifth. The only other options I could see would be McIntyre joining the faces reluctantly, Jimmy Uso joining the heels because of Jey Uso, and then Drew turning and costing the baby faces the match. Another option is to have Drew join the heels and there to be a surprise baby face for the fifth side, for which you could do Randy Orton. You could maybe even do Brock Lesnar, which would be wild if they did something like that. But Orton having his first match back from serious back surgery and have that be war games. That feels ill-advised. Obviously you could protect him, but maybe not the best case scenario. So out of everything I just listed there, Chris, if they do make this five on five, which angle do you think makes the most sense? Uh, The first two, like it's, it's really, I'm like 50, 50. It could be either Drew McIntyre joins the heels and Kevin Owens comes in or Drew McIntyre joins the faces and Jim Uso comes in and then McIntyre turns. Like I honestly, like to me, it's one of the, one of those two and both of them would make complete sense. So like, I don't even know if I want to pick one or the other. I just, I feel like those are the options okay. and, and those are the options that make sense. So I, 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 in terms of which one I prefer, I, I, I guess McIntyre turning in the match, but no, because that feels cheap. I think we'd all see that come. I feel like we'd see that coming. It it would be better. I think if McIntyre joins the heels because they've kind of told that story. I also like the idea potentially of maybe McIntyre's not even involved, 
Jimmy Uso joins the heels and then Kevin Owens joins the faces. That way we get one person each from SmackDown and it's not weird that KO is just back for this one thing, even though they traded him, which is weird. But look, we'll see if McIntyre joins the baby faces. It's going to be super telegraphed and the match could still bang, but we're going to go into it knowing exactly who's going to win, how it's going to transpire. And that brings us to the last question. You brought it up, but Milwaukee Mike Drop at M. Batzler, uh, he asked, can Priest cash in the case mid-match or after? So definitely not mid-match. It's fair to expect that Priest's Money in the Bank briefcase will be suspended during the War Games match. Either they go ahead and mention it, which they really should, given he and the champion will both be in the match, or they ignore that aspect. I bet they mention it, and I hope they mention it. But after the match, I'd say it's highly possible, given there's going to be at least three other baby faces there, and there's plausible scenarios where they can be like eliminated. You can get there creatively where all the faces are restrained, or they're forced outside the structure where the structure comes back down. Maybe that's how McIntyre plays into it. I personally don't think Priest cashes in until they drop the tag team titles because it should be a successful cash-in. And you really don't want him in particular as world champion and tag team champion. But we do have that title match next week for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. So maybe they do drop them back to Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso. It's a little bit of a hot potato. And if that happens, then I think a cash-in is real legitimate for Priest and Rollins at War Games. But as of right now, with them still tag team champions, I don't think it would happen. I don't know. I like I, I feel like you could do it mid-match and maybe like it's open for everybody. It becomes like a 10-man match if anybody pins Seth. I, I don't know. Maybe that's too convoluted. But yeah, these are the things to monitor going forward. Like, I, I don't know. And it's fun. It's fun not knowing. And uh, we'll just see how it plays out. All right. Well, that was the main event for today. It is time to move into our second segment. You know it. You love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. And for any first-time listeners, as we get into this segment, we'll be breaking down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw that did not have to do with Crown Jewel, and we will grade it either good, bad, or ugly. Let's kick things off with the number one contendership battle royal for the Women's World Championship. There was a random but quality promo package for Natalia. Alpha Academy also coached up Maxine Dupree backstage. Becky had longer, lighter hair, saying that her goal was to get the job done and have the biggest match possible at Survivor Series, obviously with Rhea Ripley. Nia Jax stepped in, telling Becky that no one can eliminate her, making her the happiest she's been since she broke the man's face. Becky pointed out that she went on to WrestleMania after that, while Nia got fired. And it's at this moment that I wish I had a Ron Simmons drop here on the show. We're going to have to add it because, damn, she got roasted. Uh, Chelsea Green then made fun of all the other competitors in the match before hiding behind Piper Niven when Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark confronted, promising to kick her ass. Zia Lee attacked Becky during her entrance, knocking her out cold with a roundhouse kick, which commentary pointed out was established last week against Candice LeRae. 
Pierce was furious he ejected Zaya, not allowing her in the match. Lynch backstage was almost non-responsive to trainers while sitting up. Nikki Cross stood catatonic in the middle of the ring at the bell. Naya and Raquel Rodriguez just easily picked her up and like tossed her over the ropes, eliminating her. Once ringside, Nikki continued staring blankly in the middle of the picture as the match continued. And I was really honestly hoping she stood there the entire match. Unfortunately, they moved her over to commentary where she did the same thing, but she was dead set right in the middle of the screen on the hard cam. And it was hysterical to see her for like the 30 seconds she was in that spot. Tegan Knox and Maxine combined to eliminate Piper only for Dupree to quickly get bounced by Jax. We saw great teamwork as usual from Caden Carter and Katana Chance. Ivy Nile, we'll talk more about her a little bit later, eliminated Carter and Chance separately on the ring apron, plus Natty as well. She got a really nice pop. Chelsea had a comedy elimination by Raquel. Nia just pushed Tegan off the top rope. Baszler and Rodriguez then eliminated Jax, leaving them, Stark, and Nile. But Nia immediately pulled Ivy off the apron, despite already being out of the match. Rodriguez got double teamed and hung onto the middle rope for dear life, basically, until she got knocked off. That left Stark and Baszler. Stark caught Baszler with three super kicks and a DDT all on the apron for the decisive victory. Match first. I kind of assumed it would be Baszler or Jax getting the win here, but what a huge victory for Zoe Stark, not just fighting Ripley, but getting an enormous match on a big four premium live event. Talk about strapping a rocket to someone. I'm immensely excited for it. This was also a really damn fun battle royal that was better than it had any business being. And so many of these types of matches can just be boring and basic, but this one kind of popped me. I loved what they accomplished. 3.75 stars, B+. And I maybe am even downplaying a little bit, but this was good. Yeah, this was fun. It, like, battle royals can be really bad. Like, like you said, it's not hard to do a really bad job. Most of AEW's battle royals are bad. Yeah, it's all about terrible. setting up big moment in a, to big moment. Just have these signature moments throughout. That's what makes or breaks a battle royal. And this one had plenty of them. Like, like a, a lot of people got a moment to shine or just have some attention. You had some big eliminations at the end, a good finish. And yeah, like this was pleasantly surprising. Like it was told whoever booked it, agents, whatever, like they did a really good job of that. And then, yeah, good for Zoe Stark. You know, we had just been saying last week that mm -hmm. she gets the, the Trish Stratus moment and she does a good job. And then she just kind of disappeared for a couple of months. So for her and Shayna to be back together backstage and then followed up with the two of them together. Like really, really loved how they did that. And uh, yeah, this was definitely a good. And Chris, how many times have I talked about the women's tag team division? And I said, the way that you build it up is you take individual women, you have them generate a friendship in kayfabe. They operate as a tag team, but simultaneously they go after their singles pursuits. That way, when you need a women's tag team, you can go and utilize them. They're established and they're ready to go. But at the same time, they can operate in the singles division. So what did they do? They established Stark and Baszler are still friendly or acquaintances at a minimum, yet they both had singles goals. They were individuals in this match and Stark won. Like, this is what I've been talking about for years with the women's tag team division. So I love that. Uh, Stark, and, and, go ahead. I'm sorry, Joe, but, no, it's fine. but to that point, yeah. the individuals and a tag team together, remember, they became friends slash partners because like, Shayna beat the crap out of her. You right. Know? Like they yeah. were forged in violence toward each other. 
So I don't expect like Shayna to be upset about that finish, or at no, least I hope she not, shouldn't it be. Bits of what they told us, yeah. Well, don't forget it was. It's actually a deeper story because it was Zoe got over Trish, Shayna got over Ronda, so they both took the person that had the spotlight from them and knocked them out of the picture. So they found common ground there. Then they fought and earned each other's respect. Now they're a team, but they're still operating solo, and they don't mind going against each other. It's like one oh one. This is what it has always needed to yeah. be. So. I was just so thrilled with that. It's, it's it's basic shit, but WWE for so long refused to do anything like this, and now it just totally works. So I was obviously very excited about that. Uh, Stark confronted Ripley backstage after the win, telling her that Rhea's focus should be entirely on her, not on Judgment Day business, especially given she hit the Z360 on her at Crown Jewel, which had we really thought about this before the match, oh yeah, she basically hit her finisher on Rhea. Not basically, she did. It would make sense for her to be the next challenger. Ripley shot back that she beat four women in that match, including Zoe, and that Zoe ate the avalanche riptide, so they both hit each other with finishers, which again is really smart booking given they're now the feud. But consider this, okay? Including that confrontation backstage, we got the women dominating four straight segments of Raw. It started with a quality backstage segment giving a bunch of women that I mentioned earlier time to establish characters and motivations, start or continue feuds. We then got a really smart way to take Becky out of the match while continuing to solidify Zaya and her finisher. Ivy came across like a star the way she was booked here. She got a great reaction walking out and then they put her over in the match with multiple eliminations as a rookie, legit. Like that's exactly what you need to say. Hey, she's on par with the rest. She can go. You had Raquel, who finally showed some fire and personality. She eliminated uh, Chelsea, started screaming at her in Spanish like she badly needed that. And on top of that, it was extremely cool how they continued storylines, built different feuds, and like I said, established some characters during this match. Normally, a battle royal is not my favorite way to determine a number one contender because it is kind of stupid where you have 30 people in a ring or however many you know people, 15, and... The last person standing who didn't get thrown over the top rope is now such a high quality contender that they get a chance at the title. It doesn't really make that much sense. At least the Royal Rumble, it seems like it's attrition, you know, given the way it's a staggered entrance type of situation. But the way this was executed, again, first with storytellings and characters and and feuds and getting all that done was great, but they actually elevated Stark in this as well. This accomplished so much overall that I wanted to give the match a good, but I wanted to give everything surrounding it a good as well. Yep, totally agree. All right, so let's stay with the women's division. So Chelsea and Piper fought Shotzi and a partner to be announced in a non-title match on SmackDown. Now, this was set up through last week's post-show with Shotzi needing to find a friend to get her back. It ended up being Charlotte Flair. Unholy Union watched this backstage. Charlotte then pinned Chelsea with a boot to the face in two minutes, obviously earning them the title opportunity, one would expect, given the fact that she now got the win. She beat the champion to be able to beat the champion. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. So Flair being the partner was a legitimate surprise, and it was refreshing somewhat to see her next to Shotzi. But here she is right back involved in another title picture. You know, Charlotte sees gold and she has to follow it. She, she's like, 
Where's the championship? Oh, it's out there. Let me go out there. Even though she has nothing to do with us, we don't want Charlotte around. After a week in which Chelsea and Piper got to shine, both individually and together, across all three shows, here we go with the champions losing another two-minute women's match. After a week also in which Shotzi got to shine a little bit, she isn't even allowed to get the fall in this match because heaven forbid Charlotte be involved in something and not be the one looking strong, even though Shotzi is the one who is the fresh face who needs to be elevated in the division. And again, why not Mia Yim or Zelina Vega or Scarlett, who not only has a show with Shotzi, but literally worked alongside her as co-host during Halloween Havoc. Any of the other women on this roster who are talented but don't get time would have been a better option in this spot than Charlotte. So this was immensely frustrating for me in pretty much all regards. And you know what? I actually wrote down bad, but now that I'm breaking it down to you and it's the beat the champion deal, it's Charlotte involved in another title picture, other women not getting opportunities, a two minute match and Charlotte getting the fall instead of Shotzi, Forget bad. This was ugly. This is for crap. Yeah, I don't. You make a good case. I was on a bad. I was kind of on the bad, ugly side of it to, to that point. Just like so much of it. I'm very concerned that the Piper Chelsea tag team, which I think has tremendous potential. Absolutely. They're a lot of fun together. The story of Chelsea getting beat and Piper getting the wins and carrying the team and carrying Chelsea on her back, literally, like it's really good, but they're not, they're not really going to that well at all. And they just keep, these things keep happening. And I worry that a title change is coming soon without really establishing them, which would be a real shame because I think they're doing a great job. Yes. Charlotte Flair is back, back in the title picture, gets a pin. It's just like, it's not like you watch this thing play out and you're just like, as soon as Charlotte comes out to help Shotzi, you're just like, oh, so this is Charlotte's thing now. Right. It's like it, you just know that the that the focus is going to be on her and not everybody else. And that's what's happening. And I don't and this is kind of unrelated to this a bit, but couldn't help but wonder with Ric Flair now going to AW on apparently a multi-year deal mm -hmm. and Charlotte's husband being over there as well. Like, I don't know Charlotte's contract situation, but. I'm just kind of wondering at some point if we see Charlotte over in AEW uh, in, in the future. I mean, I think that it's a conversation that's like fair to have, but let's not forget that Andrade Alitalo wants or wanted to come back to WWE. Ric Flair is pretty much taking the only branch out there for him to make money, which is the situation that he's in because WWE is not hiring him back. And this deal also has seemingly a lot to do with his energy drink more than Flair himself. But the point sure. is valid. I mean, he's going to be working for another company and her husband is currently there. But Charlotte is a, I mean, a mega star in WWE. And do you go to AEW and never be on TV? Or if you are, it's inconsistent at best and you never really get to wrestle. I mean, maybe she doesn't want to wrestle anyway and that's just what she wants to do. Certainly Tony Khan would pay her. I guess it's a conversation worth having if and when her contract is near being up. But, I, you know, look, I don't, let me put it this way. I don't think Charlotte, as much as WWE likes her, 
and pushes her and all that. I don't think she really moves the needle. So even if she was to leave, like I think I think Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet showing up over there would be a way bigger deal than Charlotte. Uh, I agree with that. I, I agree. Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet moves the needle. I don't think Charlotte does uh, to that extent. You're right. I, I would agree with that. So let's move to the other number one contendership match. This one was for a chance at the Intercontinental Championship. Ricochet, The Miz, Bronson Reed, and Ivar in a fatal four-way match. So Pierce narrated a package breaking down this match and each guy's storyline. There was an insane spot with Ricochet's body hanging over the top rope, only to get flung backwards into a hurricanrana on Ivar, except he kind of missed and landed like on his neck and like upper back and like head a little bit. It was really nasty. Uh, Reed and Ivar then together threw Rick into Miz before bumping meat with a double running crossbody at ringside. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Reed then superplexed Ivar off the ropes with the faces assisting from underneath. Miz went on a really hot run with a springboard crossbody into a tornado DDT. Let me repeat that. Miz did a springboard crossbody and a tornado DDT <laughs> only to eat recoil. Uh, and both of them got splashed by Ivar. Reed and Ivar uh, climbed the ropes on opposite corners with Ivar hitting the moonsault on Ricochet, but Miz dodging Tsunami. The referee double counted the falls. Ricochet kicked out at 2.5 as Miz stacked Reed for the one, two, three. After a delay with some confusion, it was announced that Miz won, but the referee waved his arms at Samantha Irvin trying to say that wasn't the decision. Ivar then attacked Miz out of anger and hit his moonsault on Miz to end the segment, and we later learned that Miz is going to fight Ivar next week. Now, I loved legitimately everything about this match. It was a blast for a TV match. Four stars, A minus, despite the awkward finish. Everyone got over. All four guys looked like they belonged as mid-card title challengers, and that's exactly what you want. But the last 30 seconds were strange. So I have two separate takes depending on the situation, which I don't know exactly what happened, and I'm not sure anyone knows 100% for sure. So let's say this was executed as planned. The referee did his job perfectly counting the fall, albeit slow. He was dialed in, he saw who won, period. So if this went as planned, it was immensely odd that he looked confused and did not immediately raise Mrs. Hand, and also that he waved off Samantha as she was announcing the correct decision though she was never informed by the referee who won. Usually the ring announcer will check with the referee in a confusing situation and the referee will say, it's Miz, and then she'll announce Miz. The referee should have either decisively held up Miz's arm or gone over to Sam to explain the decision for her to announce. Now, the other possibility is that this did not go as planned and perhaps Ricochet was not supposed to lift his arm and it was supposed to be a simultaneous three count, either leading to a triple threat or Miz versus Ivar next week for the contendership. And we are getting that match anyway because of the post-match attack. Ricochet did look like he might have been thrown for a loop after landing on his head-neck situation earlier in the match. It's also possible that he just lifted his arm at the wrong time due to the excruciatingly slow count, and he was yeah. supposed to maybe look strong despite the loss, where you kick out at 3.2, but he kicked out at 2.5 because the guy took forever to count. Therefore, it's definitely plausible that Triple H over the headset told Sam to announce Miz as the winner. The referee didn't know that. Then he told the referee to have Ivar attack Miz 
So we get the same match as regularly scheduled next week, just with no stakes because Miz is already the number one contender. So I'm not downgrading the match because of it, but the way those last 30 seconds transpired really took away from the fun and uniqueness of the creative because it came across more confusing than exciting. And if you looked at the crowd, they were really, really, really hot. And then the finish happened and they're just like, what happened? What are we supposed to say? So this was really good, not changing my grade, but I did want to kind of explain all of that. Yeah, I mean, they they botched the finish. They like they obviously botched the finish. And actually, Meltzer uh, tweeted earlier today that Ricochet was not supposed to kick out. It was supposed to be a double pin. I mean, I think that was obvious from the camera angle, from from both of them doing the pin. And he theorized as well that Ricochet may have been woozy from from that hit earlier. I I think it's pretty clear to me what happened and that's why it was just a weird ending and i felt bad because it was a banger of a match like these guys did great work and it's, it was uh frustrating that uh, that it all came down to a finish that got botched like that having ivar attack obviously was the cover and you know whether it's uh i, I whether it's uh, a winner gets to go on or whether they do a double pin and they both go on we'll see i guess um but yeah it Pretty clear to me, I think, what happened, which is too bad because it was a really good match. And and I am giving this uh, a, a good. Well, let me say one thing. One report does not make it fact. So while he may be correct. No, I, I'm not even leaning on that. I'm leaning yeah. on the fact that the camera angle and why would yes. Ricochet, why, yes. would, why would Ricochet kick out at two when the other one doesn't? Like, it doesn't really make sense. Well, that's why, it's, again, it's not something that happens. Well, that's why, again, even if it was a botched finish, correlation does not equal causation. So if Ricochet did get knocked for a loop and did mess up the finish, that doesn't mean he messed up the finish because he got knocked for a loop earlier in the match. It may have been the count was so excruciatingly slow that he just timed it, it wrong. And, and he was supposed to lift his arm at 3.2 and he didn't. He had lifted it at 2.5 because sure. the guy took forever between the two and the three. So there's a lot of different ways this could have gone. But yes, one way or another, the finish, there was something about the finish that was messed up, whether it was uh, bad acting, whether it was a botch, and then the reason for the botch, who knows? But it was good. The match was so freaking good that it overshadows that completely. That's really the key to the entire thing. I forgot to mention that Gunther will actually get to defend the Intercontinental title on a premium live event. And that's a change because he hasn't done that much uh, at Survivor Series. Not exactly the best one of his opponents to put on a huge stage. I mean, The Miz is certainly capable and he has delivered in the ring when given the opportunity recently. But there's certainly more exciting matchups for Gunther to have a PLE match. But they're basically putting this on the show because it seems like neither of the men's heavyweight championships will be defended, which for me is patently ridiculous with Reigns not being on the show. It just makes no sense that he is seemingly going to miss a big four PLE when they could absolutely bubble up a feud for him and get a challenger for that title with the roster they have on SmackDown. Yeah, I, I mean, first off, really good. They're going to do a title match at Survivor Series. Um, I, I think the fact that that belt is contested on TV so often devalues it more than anything else. Yeah, uh, you know that that goes on, but Miz makes sense. They've been pushing him. They've got, you know, the 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 stuff going on that he's been doing the last couple of weeks. He's a face now. Like it all, it all makes sense. And Miz is a two time Grand Slam champion. Like it's supposed to mean something when you beat him. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I think they're trying to. I think they're doing a good job of building Miz back up as a face. I severely disagree with you that the IC title has been devalued because it's wrestled on TV, defended on TV. I, I it's 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 a combination of it being on TV and not being on pay-per-views. I think that's fair. It should be half of his defenses 
should have been on premium live events instead of TV. Not all of them, but at least right. half of them. That would have been nice. All right, let's move on. Kevin Owens fought Austin Theory on SmackDown. Grayson Waller was on commentary. Theory cut a rough promo in Gorilla Position about having a good face, not a punchable face, and then ruining Owens' face so he didn't need a Halloween mask. It was not good. Uh, Theory countered both KO finishers and hit a rolling blockbuster. Owens came back with a pop-up powerbomb and stunner for a relatively easy one, two, three while staring down Waller. Presumably, they'll fight this Friday, I guess. This was simply like a mediocre match with a mediocre setup last week. Nothing notable either way. I didn't understand why they didn't give us a KO backstage segment on the show. Again, the SmackDown was rough mostly. It's a basic good because there was really nothing wrong with it, but I certainly didn't get excited over it. Yeah, first off, that mask promo from Theory was horrible, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm not putting it on him. I assume it was written by somebody, but like, good Lord, that was bad. And it was taped. Um, <laughs> so you you get that and you're like, wait, this isn't good. We should redo it. And they just didn't redo it. And I, it was very strange. <laughs> yeah, Um. and then, you know, I, I was kind of surprised it was, kind of clean as it was, but, uh, you know, Kevin Owens is just kind of floating around there on SmackDown since he got there, not really doing much. And so it's kind of weird, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this will become something. Well, remember we had the Logan Paul tease last week, so it's very possible that he becomes that number one yeah. contender for that. That could happen at survivor series in December, Royal rumble, a lot of options there. Uh, Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits welcomed Logan Paul, speaking of, to the arena. They dapped him up, respecting what he's doing. Just as Lashley was giving the Street Profits a lesson in something, B-Fab came up to Lashley and asked to bend his ear. So they walked off. Now, we didn't get anything else here. I'm going to give it a good because it's intriguing, but us wanting Bianca Belair and possibly getting B-Fab is like going from Alaskan salmon to canned salmon. Like, sure, it's technically still fish, but you're not going to make sushi out of it, you know? I'd be much more interested, rather than adding a woman to add a woman, if like Cedric Alexander or Cameron Grimes or another low carter joined this crew, because it feels like they need a fourth man to match up with LWO and a lot of the other factions in WWE. But I'm still going to go good. It's intriguing. We'll see what happens this coming week. Yeah, I mean, you release a lot of hit row or, or top doll and they're not, you know, it's worth doing something with them. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Bianca would be great, but, you know, otherwise, I, I'm still interested for sure. And you're great? Uh, good. So what's frustrating for me is Belair returned, and we, we're not going to otherwise speak about her on this show, but she returned, and I was pretty excited. She looked different, looked pretty serious, but it seems like she's back to her old babyface character with no changes whatsoever, and they had a perfect opportunity to spice her up, maybe glamorize her a little bit with this crew, but even without them, since they're heels, if they wanted to keep her a baby face, they could have done something fresh with Bel Air. Instead, it seems to me, Chris, like she is stuck in this John Cena-like vortex where she is so yeah. over and kids idolize her so much, they just either can't or don't want to change any part of her character because they feel like it just works really well the way it is right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That's exactly what it feels like, that that they know she is a top star, a brand, a person that they can include in everything from commercials to Saudi Arabia propaganda to Special Olympics, and they're just not going to mess with that. that that's yeah. really what it feels like. And they like the hair gimmick, and they like the lips logo, and her gear's all bright. Just like Cena, even in 2023, still wears jorts and brightly colored shirts when you would think 
Yep. As someone who grows up, he would change, you know, his his clothing, but he still dresses exactly the same. It feels like Bel Air is kind of stuck in that. And, you know, Roman Reigns was stuck in that for a while, a little bit different. They pulled him out of that vortex. Bel Air eventually, she's going to be facing Look the same happened. problems. Yeah, I I think Bianca is a lot more over as a face than Roman oh, yeah. ever was. Totally. And, 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 but, and she's more over than Cena, you know, as a baby face in the latter stages of his career where he was getting booed by half the audience. Let's not forget. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura fought Akira Tozawa on Raw. Nakamura got a whole updated entrance with new graphics and lighting, thankfully keeping his original theme, but I loved the look. He looked totally badass. Tozawa hit a nice Hurakarana counter off an avalanche powerbomb. He went for his flying senton finisher, but Shinsuke blocked with double knees before booting him in the face and winning with Kinshasa. He attacked after, so Otis confronted and Shinsuke disrespectfully left. Alpha Academy consulted Tozawa backstage and said they'd have his back for the Heritage Cup match this Tuesday on NXT. This was exactly what it needed to be. And what I always talk about regarding the bare minimum for matches, like a fun five minutes, Tozawa looked good, Nakamura rightfully won with relative ease, and it seems like Nakamura is going to go through Otis before perhaps facing, maybe even losing to Chad Gable, which would be smart. You get that group engaged in something with a legitimate heel. Gable maybe gets a big win before he gets back into the Gunther program. So this all worked. Yeah, I was um, I was concerned going into this how exactly it was going to go. It was it just should it just be a quick squash if that's what Tozawa is? But I think it told the story that like he is getting better, and so it 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 is a story and there is progress going on. So I I thought this was uh, solid, giving it a good. I don't know if I want Nakamura to beat Gable or not at the end if he's going on this journey, but we'll see. I will say that Alpha Academy is exceeding my expectations since adding Maxine and now Tozawa. They're very fun. Mm -hmm. Totally different faction than anything else WWE has. I also will note that there were about 15 seconds worth of CM Punk chants during this match, which is real stupid shit. Let's not bring that back. Also disrespectful to the wrestlers who were working. And Tozawa and Nakamura did a good job here. Fortunately, it seemed to be a small group in the crowd. It ended quickly, but... Look, they're going back to Chicago, and I think there were some at Crown Jewel as well. That audience has done that before. There's really no reason for the U.S. audience to do it. I have a feeling it might happen at Survivor Series. I don't know, but I didn't like hearing it here. I wanted to bring that up. Well, I mean, there was that report WWE maybe looking at CM Punk, and then the report that they were not looking at CM Punk, and I theorized that that was because they wanted to get out ahead of this and not you exactly know, not have this happen. Those things to kind of take off. Yep. Yeah, so um, I don't care for it. I still think CM Punk and WWE would be fun, but the chanting of it until then, nah, I, I, I'm not for that. Yeah, I agree. And look, for it to happen during the Nakamura match, he did the go to sleep a couple times. He's been talking about getting tested, and I don't think he's used the phrase best in the world, but he possibly has. So there's definitely not zero indications that he's been referencing Punk, but at the same time, it's a stretch, at least to me as of right now, and I, I just don't like it. I, I, we're way past this shit. We're way past the what chance. We're way past the CM Punk chance. Like, keep this shit fresh. Be more like that crowd that I praised last week. I thought I wasn't going to talk about crowds this week. But the SmackDown crowd during the first taping uh, that gave unique chance throughout the entire show. Be more like that, less like this. Uh, DIY fought Creed Brothers. Uh, Pierce signed all of Diamond Mine to contracts earlier before Raw. 
DIY gave the Creed Brothers props for their NXT work. They had a nice babyface moment backstage with Pierce making the match. I got a better listen to the DIY entrance this time. Definitely liked it. DIY did a really cool push backdrop. The Creed's at their standing flips. Johnny Gargano hit Julius Creed with a poison Rana as Tommaso Ciampa caught Brutus with Willow's Bell. Ciampa then hit Julius with fairytale ending for a false finish. Brutus stopped meat in the middle and Ludwig Kaiser jumped in to kick Gargano in the face. The Creed's took advantage with Brutus Ball for the upset victory. So nothing to be sour about here, but I was a bit disappointed in the crowd not getting up and being louder for this match when they really should have been. And I also disliked that Julius kicked out of Champa's finisher when it was completely unnecessary to do it and it got no reaction because the finisher hasn't been established because Champa hasn't been established. So he didn't even look particularly strong because of it. Lastly, Brutus Ball is cool as like a mid-match move, but it is not a finisher. They have to give the Creeds a better finisher. But giving the Creeds momentum and giving DIY an excused loss while they're involved in another feud with Imperium, that makes perfect sense. And the wrestling was good. So 3.5 stars B, and that's also the grade. Yeah, I thought it was good, but you're right. This is something that felt like there was almost no connection from the fans. The Creeds, because the Creed brothers, because they just showed up on WWE last week. DIY, because as commentary noted, they haven't been a tag team in three years, which was kind of surprising. And, you know, just we a lot of people don't have that full backstory. So right. good wrestling, really enjoyed it. But I think it's a reminder of just like, not everybody watches or watched NXT. And sometimes, for especially for the live crowds, you're going to have to give them more than just good wrestling. Exactly. So the Creed's debut last week, it's a surprise to get an upset win. So this week, you give a vignette. You air a video package. You teach the audience who this surprise team was that just caught your attention a week ago. And I was glad they did the backstage segment with signing, so they gave a reason to set up the match but you still have to give that video package. They haven't done it. That's frustrating. The Creeds, maybe they think they can get over just because they're so athletic and the crowd just having them wrestle in front of them, but that's more NXT. That's not as much main roster. Main roster needs the story. So hopefully this was a lesson learned. I totally agree with you. Uh, Brawling Brutes fought pretty deadly in a good old fashioned Donnybrook match on SmackDown. The Brutes attacked deadly during their slow-mo entrance, which was a cool look. Ridge Holland did a double backdrop of Deadly over the ropes before Butch nailed them with a moonsault outside. Holland hit an Alabama slam into a trash can that somehow wasn't the finish. It looked like it should have been the finish. Deadly gripped each other to avoid a double submission spot. Deadly also botched some type of backwards flip Liger bomb on Holland. It might have been his weight or length, I'm not sure. Holland hit a press power slam of Elton Prince, but ate a cutter onto Kip Wilson's knee. Butch then ate a shillelagh to the face for a false finish. Holland pulled Prince off the apron and powerbombed him through a table. Then Butch caught Wilson with a bro kick for a false finish. Wilson avoided Holland into a stack of barrels. Then Prince broke a bottle over Butch's head and hit the combined move off the ropes through a table for a squeaky clean win. There were stretches of good work in this match. The crowd was so exhausted from the double SmackDown taping, it provided real inconsistent energy, which drastically affected the way it came across to the home viewer. I also don't recall ever knowing that this was a stipulation match until the ring announcement. So I'm not sure when that happened. It's possible I missed it, but I don't ever remember it being booked that way. I just wish this was in front of a fresher crowd because it would have gotten a better response. It wasn't particularly notable either way though. Yeah, I mean, I, I still thought it was fun. 
I, I, I've liked, I, I think I said maybe last week or two weeks ago, like I would love for these two teams to just go on these crazy runs together and do a bunch of vignettes and video packages, kind of like, um, who was it? Street Profits and Viking Raiders back in the day? Mm-hmm. Like, was it Viking Raiders? Yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The like, Viking experience. I think these no, two Viking, teams, Ra- Viking Raiders. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> I, I think the I think these two teams have a lot of good chemistry just in the ring and out of it. Um, this was it wasn't much shoot. The crowd didn't. Again, it was a tape show and all that, but uh, I still give this a, a good. So that was the good, the bad, and the ugly breaking down everything else across the week in SmackDown and NXT, which means we only have one segment left on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, and it is the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. So this week it comes from Brian Owens at Owens11B. He said, with the 26th year anniversary of the Montreal Screwjob coming up, what do you think the reaction in today's social media world would be if that were to happen today? So this is a great question, I think. So the anniversary is not just coming up, it's Thursday. <laughs> it's November 9th. So the answer to your question is actually pretty simple. We have had the most absurd stretch of professional wrestling news probably in history over the last few years. Despite all of that, this would be the number one story in that time. Bigger than the pandemic adjustments, bigger than Vince McMahon's retirement, bigger than Brawl Out or Brawl In with CM Punk. Let's not forget, Chris, the Montreal Screwjob was the sport's biggest championship changing hands in surprise fashion to the champion on a big four pay-per-view in a hostile environment with that champion refusing to do business because he was set to leave the company for their chief rival. And then that guy not only spit on his boss in front of the crowd, but signed the letters of the rival promotion and then later punched his boss in the face backstage. It's like John Moxley leaving WWE for AEW plus brawl out, plus Tony Khan actually being allowed to say that he feared for his life because CM Punk punched him in the face, except all in one night in the biggest company in the world involving the top title in the business. It's arguably the biggest story in wrestling history Anyway, and that was without any semblance of social media or anything. Now with endless media, podcasts, YouTube, I think it would be extraordinary. It wouldn't be one of the top stories in wrestling. It would be one of the top stories in sports. Everyone would cover it. Don't forget, WWE is publicly traded now. So you have the news networks and the financial networks involved. This would be a billionaire getting punched by one of his employees. TMZ is getting involved. The entertainment networks all of our uh, companies that we work for. It's immeasurable how big of a story this would be in 2023. And let me end with this. Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett. Funny thing about this show, that show, Survivor Series, was that I I was in, I want to say third or fourth grade at the time. And I had a friend who said uh, he was going because uh, I lived in Detroit. I was up in Montreal and he, he invited me to come with him and his dad. I was like, cool, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's gonna, I'm looking forward to it. The days got closer and I never got any follow-ups, never got any follow-ups. Eventually it comes to Friday and I realized, oh, he was just lying to me the whole time to, to, to think it was cooler to trick me or something. <laughs> I always think about that when it comes to that show that I thought I was going to be there one day. But as far as far as how it played out, I love this question. Mm-hmm. I went back and watched 
the opening to Raw the next day. I, I looked at how people reacted to it in, in real time and everything. And honestly, I think it would have played out exactly the same way, just on a larger scale. Shawn Michaels came out the next day with the title, made some jokes about WCW and going down there, going down south and, mm-hmm. and talking about the dinosaurs and stuff like that. And then Ken Shamrock comes out and they shifted toward trying to move into a new story. The Vince McMahon, Brett Screw Brett interview with Jim Ross happened that same episode of Raw. There was internet debate. Hey, is all, are all of Canada's fans going to, is Canada going to become a WCW territory? Right. Because Brett's going there. Some people thought it was a work and they said, hey, this is one of the coolest finishes we've ever had. And in and, and, and the in and, and everybody picked you were either Sean's side or Brett's side, and that's continued, you know, ever since. So like in WCW alluded to it on that episode of Nitro. And then eventually, you know, Brett Hart comes in a few weeks later to, to Starcade and they they try to do the screw job finish at the big Starcade match with Hogan and Sting. Like, and they did it poorly. Like I could totally see all of that playing out the exact same way where AEW leans heavily into this WWE controversy, tries to take advantage of it, but loses track of what it's trying to do because it's so focused on WWE and they do a weird thing like that. So like, I like it would have been a bigger scale. All the things you said would have happened. We'd probably get a statement from Bret Hart on his social media or whatever. The video of the punch <laughs> a TikTok, the stuff from TikToks from backstage of the chaos happening. <laughs> The, the the video from beyond the map perhaps comes out earlier oh yeah or, right away right away yeah it gets turned around but like other but like other than that like i i think to to its credit in a reason you know the story lives on to this day but also like the fallout was so just like a sign of things to come like that's how it would have played out today still and so i i, I thought that was remarkable as i went back and looked at the whole thing so it's something we, we still talk about and everything. And a, a couple things would have been different. But as I watched it back, I thought, huh, this is I, I didn't remember because, I, again, I was a kid. I hadn't gone back and watched the, the what happened afterward in a while. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, this is exactly how I would have predicted it to play out today. It was I mean, as someone who watched it live and was somewhat involved in the business, I, I've told you guys before I had a newsletter. Um it was the most wild thing. And and again, even today, like all the stuff that we've experienced over these last few years, the pandemic changes and Vince McMahon and Brawl Out, Brawl In, the CM Punk controversy, the releases for WWE, like so many different items. And we can keep going here. This still is number one. And for it to happen, the way media covers things these days and how Everything kind of touches everything, which is not the way it used to be. Music news would happen and it would be covered on MTV and maybe the entertainment journals would pick it up. Wrestling was wrestling. You weren't getting wrestling on ESPN. You know, these things weren't happening. There would be, I mean, I'm not saying that ESPN would jump into like breaking news on SportsCenter, but this would be covered on SportsCenter. Um, it's just... Definitely not. Definitely not breaking. No, definitely not breaking. Not, not to that. No, I, I don't you're think right. We'll, well, during the pandemic, it would have been breaking news. But outside <laughs> of the pandemic, they wouldn't do that. You're right. But but they would cover it like on SportsCenter and the type of media blitzes that WWE would need to go on. The way PR would have to handle things. Vince would probably guest on Pat McAfee show. 
and do an interview, a sit down interview. Shawn Michaels would have to, you know, do something similar. I mean, he kind of did. That, but that's what I'm saying. Like he did it with Jim Ross the next day. Yes. I, I know that's kind of a kayfabe work interview, but like everything he did there was breaking the fourth wall, breaking kayfabe. Absolutely. Give his side of the story the very next day on Raw. Like I, I didn't in my head. I was like, oh, that must have been a few weeks later or whatever. Like, no, it was. The next don't day. forget. Don't forget that going into those Survivor Series, right? Unlike then now there would have been so much talk and we would have already known that Brett was going to WCW and, and people did know at that time. Yes. But it was, yep. it was kind of just yep. percolating like, Oh, so they'll just change, change the title and it'll be fine. But we would have heard all the backstage stuff because Sean would talk and other people in WWE would talk. So we would hear that Brett is protesting, dropping the title and WWE um, is really pressing him to do it. Brett wants to do it on raw. We would know all of this, like the details of it before it even happened. And then it would go down and we'd say, Holy shit. <laughs> I can't believe they just pulled off the Montreal screw job and like X, Y, and Z happened here because Brett wouldn't do business. You know, again, that's Vince's words, but this is a Shawn Michaels show. Regardless, I, I think it was a great question. I'm glad that we got to discuss it. It's appropriately timed 26th year anniversary instead of 25. That's fine, but it is later this week. And yeah, it was very, very interesting to hear that. I will also, right before we wrap up this show, Chris, share some breaking news that just came out in the world of WWE. Now, this is according to PW Insider, which says WWE is on the verge of announcing a new television home for NXT. You'll remember that SmackDown has already signed a deal with USA Network, but PW Insider, citing multiple sources, says that NXT will start airing in September 2024 on the CW Network. So moving from cable to broadcast television. And what makes this story even wilder is a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever it was, NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, announced that they had a deal in place with the CW, except on a recent NWA pay-per-view or something, a show pay-per-view, I'm not sure what it was. There was apparently like an extended 10-minute scene where people of some kind were doing cocaine and the CW clearly had an issue with that. So what it seems like has happened here, and this is happening right as we're finishing the show, Chris, it seems like the CW has pulled out of that agreement with NWA and instead signed a deal with WWE Hair NXT on broadcast television, which is crazy in its own right. And this is also going to be a huge media rights increase for NXT, which is big news for WWE. So I kind of gave you my take right there. I think this is fantastic for WWE, huge for NXT, and a shocker given all the circumstances surrounding it. But as we're about to close out the show, what are your immediate thoughts on this breaking news? Yeah, I didn't know NWA was on CW until I saw the stuff about that. Well, they agreed to a future deal. They weren't on it yet. Right, but, but there was also claims that that NWA was only going to be on the CW app and not television or, or something like that. So I, I I don't know the specifics of what's happening there. But remember, we talked about the CW a couple weeks ago when we talked about, hey, what's going to happen with these next WWE TV deals? CW, former home of SmackDown, uh, obviously got into a lot of teen dramas and superhero shows. Mm -hmm. They have pivoted to live sports. They have ACC football this fall. They've they got do. basketball coming. They've got NASCAR. They've got inside the NFL. They've got live golf. There were brief talks with the Pac-12. So 
NXT Pro Wrestling, it completely fits yep. with what they are trying to do. And I actually, I talked a couple months ago before the football season, I talked to the president of the CW about kind of what their strategy was. And, and he was saying, look, we, we need to, we want people to look at us like a big five, and it's big five uh, network. And the way to do that is through live sports and entertainment. So like this totally fits with what they're doing there. And it, it, will it be harder? I don't, I'm curious what the ratings would be relative to USA because USA is a very high rated cable channel and CW sometimes can be a different channel depending on what city you're in. But, uh, you know, I'm curious what the numbers are because remember the TKO stock went down big when WWE, when, when news of the SmackDown NBC deal came up. So curious what the numbers are and kind of how that reacts to their stock as well. But good for NXT. So let's make something clear. As of August 31st, the CW was available in 100% of US television households. No matter what, yes. 100%. It's available over the air. It's a major broadcast network. You you can get it with an you can get it with an antenna. Correct. And, and, and cable has it. YouTube TV has it. Hulu, it depends. Some of the other streaming cables are a little iffy. Uh, but 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 the but app even if is you have free to everybody as well. right, but even if you have who like let's say you have Hulu TV and for some reason it doesn't have it, literally all you need to do is buy a cheap antenna and plug in your cable and you have CW for free. Like it doesn't cost you anything. So yeah. point is USA Network, you still have to pay to have USA Network in your home. I think it's in 89 million homes. That number's probably come down 87, 86, something like that. But the CW is 100% available to everyone in this country. So. It's a massive deal. It's, it's going to be very interesting, like you said, to see what the ratings end up being for NXT over there. But if they're currently, you know, pretty consistently in that like 700,000 zone and this product continues to be as solid as it has been, that should hit a million. They should be able to do a million, I think, on a weekly basis. We'll get into this in much greater detail, maybe on Thursday's show, but certainly as this deal gets consummated and announced and all that. But- Man, this is enormous and uh, some breaking news to end the show. So pretty fun that we were literally taping as this came out. That said, we have given you plenty of show today. So it is time for us to wrap things up. A reminder, we will be back on Thursday for our NXT and AEW show. Don't forget to listen to the WWE Crown Jewel Instant Analysis if you did not hear that already for detailed breakdowns of every single match and my thoughts on the show as a whole. On the way out, let me hit you with those reminders. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings. On Apple, if you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. Please also remember, I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling and news posts every single week. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is time for us to sign off and for me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.